Uh, specifically, I want to discuss the anatomy of a spiritual wake- awakening. So how, how does a person or how does a nation even actually wake up to who God is and develop a passion for him? What is the anatomy of that interaction? What's, what's underneath it? How does it actually work? And so as we continue in our uh, Zechariah series uh, this morning, we're going to be in chapter 12. So if you brought your Bible, would you open up to uh, Zechariah chapter 12? Uh, or if you picked up a, a Bible over there at the Welcome Tent, we are on page 651. Or if you're just using your Renovation Church app, uh, you can uh, just tap uh, Summer Services and Weekly Verses. So Zechariah, if you don't know who he is, that's A-OK. Zechariah was a prophet uh, who ministered in Jerusalem about 500 years or so before uh, Jesus. And today in chapter 12, Zechariah is going to share a fascinating prophecy about the end times. In fact, the first nine verses of the chapter are about a future battle that is going to happen still in our future. So at the end of days, Zechariah says there's going to be all of these enemy armies that are going to surround Israel and they're going to try and attack Israel, but God is going to confuse them and Israel will reign and be victorious in battle. In fact, they'll be completely unscathed. And so our chapter starts with this prophecy about Israel's physical saving, but then it ends with a prophecy about Israel's spiritual saving. And Zechariah is going to talk today about how in the future, Israel is going to actually have a massive spiritual awakening, and they're going to turn to Christ, which is pretty amazing. And so I actually think this is going to be really helpful for us to study in our day because we get a little glimpse here. It's kind of like a sneak peek behind the curtain or the anatomy of what revival, what awakening will look like in the future. So I want us to study that so we can see it now, right? Because I want to see it in our lives. I want to see it in our day. I want to see it in our nation. And so let's take a look at what this looks like. So we are in uh, Zechariah. Uh, chapter 12, and we're going to look at the spiritual saving part of it today. So we're going to start at verse 10. So here's what the word of the Lord says. This is God speaking through Zechariah. He says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be as great as the weeping of Hadad-Rimmon in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn, each clan by itself, with their wives by themselves. The clan of the house of David and their wives. The clan in the house of Nathan and their wives. The clan in the house of Levi and their wives. The clan of Shimei and their wives. And all the rest of the clans and their wives. Now, I want to read one verse from chapter 13, too. This is kind of connected. It says, On that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. Okay, this is an incredible prophecy because God says, in the end of days, so this this hasn't happened yet. It's in our future. A time is going to come when God is going to pour out his spirit, it says, on the house of David. Well, what is that? Well, the house of David in the Old Testament is the tribe of Judah. And so today we'd call the tribe of Judah are the Jews. And so he's saying there's going to be a massive spiritual awakening among the Jews. And the prophecy says that specifically what will happen is the Jews will look back and they will look on God whom they have pierced. Who's that? Well, it's Jesus, Right? And when they look to Jesus, the Jews are going to come in mass to Christ. That's pretty amazing. But how does something that amazing happen? I want to see the anatomy of that because we want to see awakening in our city. So let's take a look at this. I encourage you to even write this down because this is just important. And so if you're taking notes in your phone or on paper or however you do it, 
He just writes a heading, The Anatomy of an Awakening. The Anatomy of an Awakening. And here's, here's the first thing that happens when people really come back to God. Number one, God pours out his spirit. So let's write down, God pours out his spirit. So in the last 2,000 years of Christian history, there are a number of pretty amazing documented revivals, awakenings, where you just see like a whole ton of people come to Christ at once. And they essentially are all initiated in the same way. You know how they start? God starts them. If we don't start them, God starts an awakening. He begins to pour out his Holy Spirit. So this is verse 10, okay? In verse 10, it says he pours out a spirit of grace. That's a forgiveness. People are experiencing forgiveness. And then it also says he pours out a spirit of supplication. Now, it's kind of a a word we don't use a whole lot. So a lot of the easier translations just translate that as a spirit of pleas for mercy. And that's actually something you see in a number of revivals. So one of my hobbies, I love to read, and I love to study the history of revival. It's just became kind of a, a curiosity of mine over the last five years. And I'll tell you, you see this at a lot of revivals. So uh, one of them, uh, one revival that occurred among evangelicals and Presbyterians and all so- sorts of folks uh, in the 1950s was in the Hebrides, which is kind of in northwest Scotland. There was a massive revival. A ton of people became Christians. And all the stories said that people would be even walking to the revival service at church and they said people would just like almost go down to their knees like on the sidewalk and just start pleading like oh god i just i don't know what's coming over me i just need the forgiveness of god well what is that that's god pouring out his spirit to lead people to himself Uh, this is why i always tell people at our church that when we give the gospel here that we don't we don't woo people into the kingdom by manipulating their emotions. Like sometimes people will say to me, David, why don't, why don't we just like, when you give the gospel, why don't we just play like more emotional music for people? Or like sometimes when you ask people at an altar call to come forward, why don't we have some of our church members maybe come forward first, you know, just to kind of inspire other people to go. I tell them it's because the Lord pours out a spirit to awaken people. Like if we needed to say, like if we said, if you want to accept Christ, do 10 jumping jacks. If the Lord is going to awaken someone to accept Christ, they're going to do 10 jumping jacks, okay? The Lord pours out his spirit. That's how we are awakened. Jesus teaches us in John chapter 6. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And for many of you, isn't this how you came to Christ? Like the Lord just started moving in your mind, in your heart. God was, you know what he was doing? He was drawing you to himself, Okay, so awakening start when God, starts when God pours out his spirit. That's number one. Here's the second piece of the anatomy of an awakening. It's when people look on the pierced one. People look on the pierced one. Okay, so this is the middle of verse 10. I want you to see this in, in the Holy Scriptures. This is, this is fascinating. So God says, they will look on me. He's talking about himself. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. This is so deep. This is so rich. Okay, let's walk through it. I think it's one of the best prophecies of the Old Testament because it proves 500 years in advance. So we have this written. You can find it in old scrolls before Jesus came to earth. We find that the Bible predicted 500 years in advance that God himself was going to come to earth and that he, God, would be pierced for us. You know, the prophet Isaiah, in one of the great chapters of the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, says something really similar. He says that when the Messiah comes, he will be pierced for our transgressions. 
And then when you read the gospel, excuse me, sir, we're trying to have a church service here. Thank you. Uh, okay. When you read the gospels, which are the four uh, stories about Jesus in the New Testament, one of the gospel authors, uh, the di- disciple John, when he's describing the crucifixion of Jesus, and he's talking about how the spear comes and it pierces the side of Jesus, he actually quotes our verse from today, Zechariah 12.10, that we just read, that they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and he quotes it as evidence that Jesus Christ being pierced is indeed the Son of God. And that, that's, that's pretty amazing. And so our prophecy here, look how it starts. It says, they will first, they will look on me. Now, it seems like that doesn't really matter, but it actually really matters because if we're going to understand the anatomy of the awakening, we need to understand the order of how this works. And I think a lot of us maybe don't understand this. If, if I were to ask you, let's say an hour ago, about how an awakening, how people just become alive and become passionate for Christ, how it usually works, I actually think most people would mix up step two and step three out of order. Now, I have to give you a little spoiler alert on, on step three, but step three is going to be that we mourn for our sin. And I actually think most people would flip those two and they would say, okay, the Lord pours out his spirit and then first we feel really bad. We, we mourn about our sin and then we look to God. But the Bible says, no, no, no. Those, those are actually reversed. It says, first we need to look to God. So l- let me explain this. If you just start with feeling bad about something you did and you say, oh, I just, I was so hard on my kids yesterday. You go, oh, I just, I shouldn't have looked at that. Or, oh, I'm so, I, I feel so much regret over, you know, what, what I said to them yesterday. If you just start with that, you need to understand that feeling bad about your sins doesn't necessarily lead to godliness. But like Judas's story that we read last week, right? That's a perfect example. Judas, Judas felt terrible about what he did to Jesus, but it didn't lead to godliness. And in fact, tragically, it led to suicide, uh, the great Charles Spurgeon explains it this way. And now, if I have any complaint about our summer services, uh, it's that we have not had enough Charles Spurgeon quotes uh, this summer. Amen. Maybe it's because I was gone for three weeks. Okay. Here's what Spurgeon says on this. Listen to this. He says, a man may hate sin just as a murderer hates the gallows, but this does not prove repentance. If I hate sin because of what happens because of my sin, because of punishment, I have not repented of sin. I merely regret that God is just. But if I can see sin as an offense against Jesus Christ, and I loathe myself because I have wounded him, then I have a true brokenness of heart. You see the difference? And this is actually in our text. The scriptures are so rich, my friend. Look at verse 10 again. We're going to keep mining God's word here, okay? So God says, they will look on me, the one they, the one they have pierced. So, in fact, what this chapter is saying that, okay, in the future, when there's this great revival among the Jews, it's going to happen because they're going to look back in history and realize that it was their sin that killed Jesus Christ. And an awakening can come to us in the exact same way today. When we realize that the people who pierced Jesus' hands... The people who pierce the feet of Jesus, the people who are responsible for the spear going through the side of Jesus, those people are us. We killed Jesus. I killed Jesus. You, your sin, it pierced Jesus. I mean, this is basic Christianity. If you think about it, we just don't say it in that way, right? Because we always say that Jesus Christ died for our sins. 
But my friend, you cannot truly comprehend the love of Jesus for you until you understand this. And unfortunately, I think we, we lack some passion in our American churches because we have this just like very surfacey understanding of the gospel. Like even if you think about how many pastors share the gospel or even how we share Jesus with other people, lots of times it sounds something like this. We go up to someone and we say, hey, I want you to know Jesus is amazing. He's the son of God. He can change your life. He loves you. I would love for you to accept him into your heart. Well, that sounds really nice, but what's missing in that presentation? Sin. And you can't explain the gospel without sin because without sin there is no need for the gospel and you can't begin to have an awakening in your life for the first time or maybe even for the hundredth time until you realize that it was our sin it was my sin it was your sin that pierced the son of god it was your gossip that put the nail in his hand it was your lying that crushed the nail into the feet of Jesus. It was your hatred that pierced the side of King Jesus. It was yours. And, and, and what happens when you begin to actually recognize that? We mourn. And that's the third part of the awakening that happens every time. Number three, we mourn for our sin. Sometimes I hear people say that they would just love someday to be at a revival. And I would too, but I think when people say that, lots of times they picture the revival like it's just one joyous filled dance party. But when you really study revivals, often they're very solemn. They can be very serious. Sometimes they're really intense. Uh, t during COVID, I studied the famous uh, Welsh revival of 1904. So, uh, in Wales, you know, part of the kind of western part of the United Kingdom, there, this powerful revival happened. I mean, almost whole cities were saved. And what was happening is they were going to church for these services just to love on Jesus and worship him. And they would go, you know how often they went to church? Every night. They went every night. And sometimes their services would go for three hours, four hours. Sometimes they would go all night. And they would begin to worship Jesus and the Holy Spirit would just come down as they began to look on the one they pierced. And in some of their services, you know what would happen when the Holy Spirit came? People would just start shouting out their sins in front of everybody because they began to mourn when they realized, like actually realized, not just like Sunday school realized, actually realized that it was their sin that killed the Son of God. And they mourned and they wept. And that's the pattern we see in scripture. It's right here. It's the end of verse 10. Look at it. It says, they will mourn for him, the one they've pierced, as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. And that's who Jesus is, right? He's the only begotten son. He's the firstborn son of God. And who will mourn? Remember that list we just read where it said David and, and Levi and Shimei? This is the list of kings, prophets, and priests. Many of these leaders that in their time, you read the Old Testament, they led God's people away from God. But it says now they're, they're going to come back to God. Many people, men and women, great and small, are swept up in this. This future awakening is going to sweep the nation of Israel. I mean, how incredible is that? Well, how is it going to happen? It's exactly what we said. God's going to pour out a spirit. 
People are going to look on the one they've pierced, and then they're going to mourn over their sin. Now, what's interesting is this is the anatomy of an awakening kind of at the end of days. But if you go way back to the very beginning of the church, you see the exact same anatomy. So if you look to Acts 2, that's the chapter on the very beginning, the first day of the church. What happens? Those three things happen. This is the day of Pentecost. So if you remember the 100, there's 120 believers, they're in the room, and the Holy Spirit comes down. Remember like the tongues of fire thing, right? The Spirit comes down, and uh, people come running from the crowd because they hear them speaking in other languages. They're like, what's going on here? And Peter, one of the disciples, he stands out, stands up, and he says, listen, the Lord said this was going to happen through the prophet Joel, that he was going to pour out his Spirit on sons and daughters, and he, and he does. And then Peter stands up and he starts to preach this sermon, and it's not a very seeker-sensitive sermon. And he looks at the people, and very boldly he says, you, with the help of wicked men, you put Jesus to death by nailing him on the cross, but God has raised him from the dead. And then here's, what's, here's what happens. This is verse 37 of chapter 2. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? In their own minds, they saw their own sin finally, killing the Son of God, and they said, What shall we do? And my friends, it is only when you see in your heart that it was your sin that killed the Son of God, and yet Jesus died for you anyway. It is only when you see that that you can be awakened, that your passion and your heart can respond to the true gospel of Jesus Christ who loves you so much. You know, this, this, this scripture from Zechariah 12, it makes me think of the old hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. We sing that sometimes here even on Good, on Good Friday. And there's a line in that song towards the end where the writer says, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Can you see that? Can you see that scene? I want you to see it. I want, would you just for 30 seconds, would you just close your eyes? I want you to picture something with me. Close your eyes. And I want you to picture Jesus at Calvary, up on this mount of Golgotha, and the cross is there. And they're getting him ready to crucify him. And you are there, you are watching on this dreadful day. And yet somehow in this scene, you are not weeping. And you find yourself actually handing the next nail to the executioner. And as you're handing the nail to the executioner, Jesus' eye catches yours. And he looks at you. He looks into your soul. And he says, I forgive you. In fact, I'm letting this happen so that you can be forgiven. That is how deep my love is for you. Now look at me. When you understand the gospel at that personal of a level... That is when you can finally be desperate enough to look to God and say, what shall we do? What shall we do? And Peter tells them, you got to repent. That sin of yours that has killed the Son of God, you have to move on from that. 
And then you need to believe on Jesus Christ who died for your sins and walk in his forgiveness. And that's the fourth part of the anatomy of an awakening is that we need to receive forgiveness. And that's why I wanted to read verse one of the next chapter because that's what it says is gonna happen. It says, chapter 13, verse one. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David, to the Jews and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. When you believe in Jesus Christ, a fountain of forgiveness washes over you because he has paid for your sins, which is pretty amazing. Some of you, I think you just need to hear that for the first time today. Jesus Christ can pay for your sins if you believe in him. And some of you, you just got to hear that in your heart. And you know who else needs to hear that? The rest of our city. The rest of our county needs to hear that. Church, we have got to get the real gospel to people again the real gospel because the lots of people around us you look around you just listen we, we start knocking on doors we start talking to people our co-workers our friends and family members you say what do you know about jesus you know what they know about jesus they know a false gospel many of them think that jesus came to help them be a good little boy and girl that's not why he came a lot of people nowadays because of just not great teaching from our churches they think that jesus came to be a good life coach and kind of help them with their marriage and their finances. That's, that's not the main message of this book. You know what the people in our city need to hear? They need to hear the gospel. We've got to bring the gospel to this city to let them know that yes, their sin has pierced the Son of God. And yet God loves them so much he can forgive them anyway. He can come into their lives, grant them eternal life, and change their life. This is our mission, church. It's what we say. It's to follow Jesus and help others do the same. And we will not rest. I will not rest as the lead pastor of this church until every person in this city has heard the gospel. I want to see an awakening in this city. That is my deepest desire. Now, I believe that the Lord is going to do amazing things to this church, especially as we move back into that building in five or six weeks. As we begin to open it up over 2024, I think the Lord is going to do tremendous things. But I need to explain a very important spiritual truth to you. And this is something that I taught to our church when we moved from the school the first time a couple years ago. A building of bricks and mortar does not bring an awakening. Okay, we've got to go back to the anatomy. Now, it provides space for it, but it doesn't create it. What creates it is the same thing, okay? It's when the Lord starts to pour out his spirit And so we've got to go back to that. We can't say, oh, great. We don't even need to think about this. We're building a building. Lots of people build buildings. There's a ton of empty, large church buildings all over Anoka County. A building doesn't bring an awakening. We need to ask the Lord to pour out a spirit and save people again. And so one of the things I want to urge you to do is pray with us. Pray every day that the Lord would do a tremendous thing through our church over this next year. You know, we pray 15 minutes before every service for that, that the Lord would pour out a spirit, that people would be saved. We're seeing that already this morning. We've seen a number of people respond to the gospel already today. Because we pray. We ask the Lord to move. So we pray 15 minutes right beyond the playground, right back there. Come next week and pray with us and ask the Lord to move. And so we asked him to move, but ultimately... We've got to respond. We can't just sit around. We've got to ask the Lord to, to move. Let me, let me just close. I want to tell you this story. I, uh, earlier this week, I was, I was listening to a book, and um, it was talking about this evangelist. 30 years ago, he was in the Congo, which is kind of right, right in the heart of Africa. I used to be Zaire, if you remember that from elementary school. And he was uh, right across the street from one of the worst prisons in Africa. And there were all these men. It was an outdoor prison, and they were shackled. 
together and they were chained and basically they were on death row. And his friend was explaining to him, he said, look to the middle of the courtyard, there's this humongous tree. And he said, once a month the executioner comes right there in front of everybody and he begins, you know, like in the old west, he literally begins to hang the people and execute them. And he will execute as many people as he has strength to do that day. Sometimes six, sometimes seven, sometimes eight. And then he leaves when he runs out of strength, but he's coming again next month. And so if you're not picked this month, you're going to be picked next month or the month after that. And the evangelist, he saw these men and he knew they were going to die. And he knew that they had sinned so much and he wanted them to know, for goodness, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I got to get in that prison. I got to get in that prison. Let me in that prison. They're shackled. They're going to die. And I'm listening to the story and I felt like the Lord just said to me, the people of Blaine... The people of Anoka County, they may not be in physical shackles, but they are in spiritual ones. And what many of them will face at our death, at their death, are the things that we don't talk about, but we need to talk about. They're going to face an eternity apart from Christ. They're going to face an eternity in hell. And so we've got to get to them. We've got to tell them. We've got to say to our friends, to our neighbors, look, look on the pierced one. Your sin has pierced the Son of God. And yet he still loves you and he wants to know you and he can save you and he can redeem you and he can change you. We've got to tell them. That's the last part of the awakening. It's us. We've got to tell them. Will you go? Will you go? Will you tell them? Lord, bring us an awakening in this city. We need it. Lord Jesus, we pray that... uh, We would go. Give us the boldness, Jesus Christ, to be bold evangelists, to see spiritual reality. And may we believe, God, that you can pour your spirit out on anyone. There is nobody we know, no relative, no neighbor, anyone that is too far from you that you cannot convict of sin and bring to life and raise from the dead. God, would you do that in our lives and would you give us the boldness to believe that you can bring an awakening to our city, to our families, to our places of work and to our neighborhoods. We trust in you and we believe in you as the powerful son of God, Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray, amen.